0: Uh, Earlier this week, uh, Evangeline and I were uh, working in the office and uh, just kind of looking at some music for the next uh, little while uh, for worship services together. And um, one of the the readings that we were going to have today was uh, was more of Psalm 147, and that was what we actually read a a few verses of that to start our service today. And um, as Evangeline was flipping through uh, that psalm, and just kind of looking at it, and we were, we were looking at maybe there's a song that goes with that, um, she noticed verse 16 and 17 and brought them to my attention, which were actually not part of the, the initial reading, and so here are those verses, um, because I think they're really appropriate for us, um, it, it goes like this, verse 16 and 17, he gives snow like wool, he scatters frost like ashes, he hurls down hail like crumbs, who can stand before his cold? We can, right? (laughs) Winnipeggers can, right? We've got coats, we've got ski pants, we've got long underwear, we've got toques. Here's actually our message in a nutshell today. We do all kinds of things to try and handle life and we think we've got it. And we even do this with our decisions and our work that we do as a church we answer the questions of how to get through difficulty without any reference to God's faithfulness, usually. Who can stand before his cold? It was a rhetorical question, right? Like We know that. We're not supposed to answer it because verse 18, it says, he sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. In other words, who can stand before his cold? well, God can. We wait on God, and God melts away the winter. Uh, when I was away in Tampa, I heard some really great sermons at the uh, the event that I was at, and um, so I've got to give credit to uh, Sharif Garis, who I've mentioned in this church before. Uh, he was one of the preachers there and preached the the opening sermon. And um, so I want to give credit to him because lots of the ideas in my message today are actually from that sermon. I can't tell you for sure which ones, that's harder to do. Um, But I did want to give him credit up front. And he focused on this text that we heard from Mark's Gospel about the disciples who are in the boat, and Jesus is sleeping in the back on a cushion. And this great uh, wind arises and the waves are beating into the boat and the boat is already being swamped by the water, but Jesus is just asleep. And they wake him up and they say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind, he said to the sea, peace be still, and the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, why are you still afraid? Have you still no faith? That's a good question. Why are they afraid? Why are they doubting? I don't think they doubt Jesus' identity, although they're trying to figure that out, and by the end of the story we're told that they're, that they're still asking that question, but I don't, think they're, I don't think that's the core of their doubt and I don't think they doubt God's power and probably not really Jesus' power either. They've seen evidence already in Mark's gospel of Jesus' power. I think it's way more likely that they doubt Jesus' faithfulness to them. They doubt Jesus' faithfulness because they forget very, very quickly, and so do we. We forget very, very fast. The disciples forget so quickly that even we find this within the story itself. In verse 35, Jesus is actually the initiator of getting into the boat. He says to them, let us go across to the other side. It's Jesus' idea to go on a journey with his disciples across the sea. Let us go across to the other side. And and we just pass right by that in the story because we get to the good part with the storm. But listen to what Jesus said. Let us go. Not you go, and I'm kind of tagging along in the boat with you. Or you go across to the other side, and I'll meet you there, because I'm Jesus, and I can just disappear and reappear if I want to. Like, let us go. We're going together on the boat. About a year ago, I was preaching to two congregations, really. And we had another preacher who did a good job of preaching to two congregations. And I remember one of the things that I was saying is that we, we would look back and see that God was the one who had done things. And I still think that. I remember last year talking about the need to take steps of faith and the need for prayer, that in one year or in five years or in 10 years, we ought to look back on things to do with our church and wonder how on earth we got where we are. And I hope that our explanation will not include our own ingenuity or design. And we have really smart people in our church but I hope instead we can only throw up our hands in disbelief that God used us and did things through us. Our journey, like the disciples' journey in that boat, was instigated by Jesus. Over the last few years, we believed together that God was calling us to build a new facility in Southwest Winnipeg. I know all of you saw the, the, the drawings that are up now that we can take a look at. I'll talk more about that later. We also believed that God was calling us to form Prairie Presbyterian Church to amalgamate these two congregations, Trinity and St. Andrews, together to form this new congregation. We believed that God was calling us to do that. But the follow-through is much harder, and it sometimes feels like God is missing or that God doesn't care or that God is asleep in the back somewhere. And even if this doesn't relate to church things, um, we can think about this on a personal level as well. God calls you to give your money away. Did you know that? And maybe you've started on a path of generous giving. Some of you may be even going beyond 10% of what you earn, you're giving away. And some of you might be wondering, well, where is the money for going to come from? God, you called me to do this, and I know you're supposed to provide, but it might not feel like you're providing sometimes. God has called you to serve, and maybe you have, and you feel drained, and you wonder, where is God? God has called you to stay committed to your marriage or your family, but maybe lately it's been tough, and where is God in this? Is He in the back asleep? Doesn't he care that I'm drowning here? See, I don't think we often doubt the power of God to do something. We don't often doubt the ability of God to see someone through a storm. But we definitely doubt that God will see me through the storm. Or see us through difficulties that may lie ahead. We definitely doubt that. See, that is not doubting God's power to do it, it's doubting God's faithfulness to us and whether he will see us through. Prior to the journey, Jesus doesn't promise no storms ahead. And in the disciples' case of getting into this boat, there's actually no great reason for this journey that they take. So what, I, what ends up happening is they once they get to the other side, they're in a different region, the region of the Decapolis, which are ten uh, gen, primarily Gentile cities. And there's a man there who is, uh, is told that he's possessed uh, by an evil spirit. And Jesus casts out the evil spirit, and this man wants to come with them uh, back on the boat. They're going to go back to the other side. And Jesus says... No, you stay here and, uh, and go and tell people about how much God has done for you. So, okay, there, there's a purpose, but I think from the disciples' perspective, they don't know that word spreads throughout the Decapolis at the time about Jesus. But from the disciples' perspective, they got on a boat to come over, cast out one evil spirit, when well, there's plenty of evil spirits on the other side of the water, where we just came from, and then the very next thing they do is get back in the boat and cross the sea. There's no real... Like, what's the point of that journey? The thing is, it may be that Jesus wanted to cross the other side to the other side of the sea. Maybe he wanted to do it, and maybe he wanted to do it right then because he knew that the storm was coming. Maybe he wanted to throw his disciples right into the storm. Because God uses the storm to change his disciples. One of the things that I I wrote down as a a quote from what uh, Sharif said in his sermon was, storms bring us to the end of ourselves. And what that does is it forces us to learn once again how to depend on God. When for most of the time we haven't really been doing that. We haven't really been paying attention too much. They force us to learn once again how to depend on God. The disciples' issue was that they did not depend on God, and it was for them. We, we do a good job of, of, of seeing kind of God over there for others, but they didn't do the best job of depending on God for them. They did not believe that God would see them through. And we're the same. The storm beats us down, and we forget that God wants, God actually wants to pull us out of it, to see us through one way or another. It might not always be exactly as we have planned to be pulled through the storm, because part of the point of the storm is to change us. It's not always going to be the way we see it. Even if we are thinking about the fact that Jesus is with us, we might not really like the Jesus we have with us, though. And so I wanna draw your attention to verse 36. So um, again, this is before they get in the boat, before the action. And in verse 36, it says, "'And leaving the crowd behind, "'they took him with them in the boat.'" So he's just said, let's go together, let us go together. And uh, leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Well, that's a weird thing to say. Just as he was. Like, why why would you put that on the end of the sentence? And Mark's gospel is the shortest of the gospels. He doesn't have a lot of space to tell his story. Yet he adds on this little phrase, just as he was. Why? Why say that? Well, is he just saying, well... Jesus is tired, so we're explaining that, you know, this is why he falls asleep in the back of the boat. It's not Jesus' fault. Like, they took him just as he was. He was tired, so he went to sleep. But I don't know. Is there a bigger theological meaning in this little phrase? Jesus says, let's go. We take him with us just as he is. And I think our problem is that we want to take Jesus with us and we want him to be a different way than just as he is. We'd like God to be a certain way. We'd like life to work out for us without the necessary work involved of having life work out for us. We'd like God to just align everything for us and and not, give us, and not let us have any pain or suffering? Why doesn't Jesus do that? In other words, we actually would rather have Jesus in the back, asleep on the cushion, wouldn't we? And let's wake him up when we need him to fix something for us. See, because often our issue is that we don't trust Jesus to be just who he is in our lives. The Savior, yes. The healer, yes. But there's other words that we don't want to apply to Jesus. Judge? Lord, as in he's the one in control of the one making the decisions, not us. Let's have a healer and a savior. Let's not have a lord, a king, and a judge. I don't want those words with Jesus. Let's have a friend and a companion. But we've got to take Jesus as he is in his entirety. See, because when when Jesus is lord and we take that seriously, then we are saying that we're submitting to him and that we're trusting him. Even when we're in the middle of the storm and we see no way Possible to get out of it. And we don't like that because we don't want to trust our lives to anyone but ourselves. And the sad thing is, we often don't even want to trust our church to Jesus. We want it to be our church, and let's have some Jesus here and there. Like in the sermons, that's a good place for Jesus. But the truth is, it's Jesus' church, and, and our lives belong to him, too. We need to let God be God in our lives. He's the one in control, and we need to trust him. We need to give over to God and believe in his faithfulness to us, for it is truly great. We almost sang that this morning, by the way, Great is Thy Faithfulness. We were thinking about putting that in. If you read the rest of verse 36, there's a really interest, another interesting phrase that, uh, again, why put this in there? The last part of verse 36, there's an extra sentence. So off they go, they take him with them in the boat, just as he was, and then it says, other boats were with him. Ever noticed that? No, because we always go right to the storm, right? Other boats were with him in the storm. So, notice what the disciples do when the storm hits, or maybe notice what they don't do. See, when the storm arose, the disciples didn't care at all about the other boats, did they? Which kind of makes sense, right? Survival. None of them thought about how they might be able to help another boat. In fact, they got mad at Jesus for sleeping during the storm. They didn't care one bit what happened to the other boats. They can sink, Jesus save us. And I think it's so interesting as well that the, the phrase that, uh, that Mark uses here is that other boats were with him, not other boats were with them. That, that Jesus has, like is that sort of saying, Jesus has care for all the boats in the water here. And, and we do this, right? We focus so much only on our own boat. Myself, my family, my church, we are self-centered to the point that we barely notice that there are other boats. We don't even notice it when we read the story. We jump past that. I mean, how many times when we're talking about our building project, our future building project, have we forgotten the importance of saying that, I mean, it's not even, it, it's not even Prairie's building alone. we're building with a partner. It's also Lighthouse Church's building. There are other boats out there. And, and the building is actually not even for either of, the, the, either of those churches really in the end, but for others who are out there, particularly for those who do not know the love of God and Jesus Christ. There's a good reason to build a facility. Will it be there? Will that building be there in 50 years? Most of us will not be the church that's meeting there in 50 years. We know that Jesus is with us even as our boats get swamped And if we can hold on to that, if we can hold on to that truth that Jesus is with us and Jesus is faithful to us and cares about us and can pull us through the storm and out of it, that is wonderful. But what about those who know nothing of the power, love, and compassion of Jesus Christ? Will we just sit in our boat and say, well, this is good, we're nice and safe with Jesus? What about those other boats that are taking on water and they have no idea that there's someone with them the same way there's someone with us who has the power and the will to rescue them? We're worried about our own boat. And we do a bad enough job forgetting that we even have Jesus, but we've got to hold on to that tightly so that we can also realize that others need to know that they have Jesus too. Imagine if the disciples in their boat as it was taking on water looked out at the other boats and yelled to them, do not fear, we've got Jesus on our boat. There's no way this storm is going to take us all down. He's going to calm the whole storm. Everyone is rescued. Jesus isn't just for us, Jesus is for everyone. Everyone needs him. And we of all people, the people who are right there in the boat with Jesus, we need to remember his faithfulness to the people that he loves. I think sometimes we simply don't understand what it means for God to be faithful to God's people. Imagine you have a child and that child cannot swim and that child falls in the water. You will jump in. I don't care if you can swim. You'll jump in anyway to do everything you can to rescue your child. That is God's faithfulness to us. The disciples didn't remember passages like Isaiah 40 that we heard this morning as well. Why do you say, this is starting in verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right hand is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The disciples forgot their Bible. And we do too. We don't call these kinds of passages to mind when we're in the middle of the storm. Or if we do, we struggle to believe them for ourselves. We struggle to believe that God will rescue us, renew us, and give us strength that when we feel we have nothing left, that might be the very time when God will act. We have such trouble believing these things for ourselves, but we simply must claim them. Let's claim them. Not so that we can boast how great we are at being able to weather the storm. Far from it. I pray that that when that new building opens, we will not talk about all the great work we did and all the great plans we had. I pray that we will tell the story of how faithful God was to us in pulling us through. That even when we doubted and even when things looked like they might fail, God was faithful. I pray that we will tell of a plan that God had to take us from where we were to where he wanted us to be. And I pray that we will see that that journey is going to continue from there. I pray also that we will witness to God being with us every single step of the way. And I pray this for your life as well. Not that your life will be easy but that you will be able to point to the power and presence of God pulling you through the difficult times. That you will be able to know the God who renews your strength to run and not be weary, to walk and to never faint. Amen.